We are in Genesis chapter 45. We've been in the, uh, the story of Joseph for the last little while. And um, we've been looking particularly at our relationships. We're looking at the story of Joseph and what does his story tell us about how we're to relate to one another. And um, last time we left Joseph in prison and he'd interpreted a couple of dreams and they'd been spot on. Well, what's happened since then, uh, just to bring you up to date, is that uh, because he did a really good job at interpreting those dreams, two years later, he was asked to interpret the dreams of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And it turned out that he was spot on again. And so he became the prime minister or, or someone with massive responsibilities in the whole of the nation of Egypt. And um, there's a famine in the land. And so his brothers, who have betrayed him and treated him in the most horrible way, caused huge pain in his life, appear before him asking for food, basically. And he sends them away um, uh, until they all come. He wants to get all of his brothers in front of him. And so here they are, finally, all of his brothers standing there in front of him. We're going to read from verse 1 of chapter 45. It'll come up on the screen as well. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been famine in the land and for the next five years there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Amen. Uh, Several years ago, well quite a long time ago actually, my wife Taryn, there was a bit of an emergency about a month before Christmas because she ran out of perfume. And you know, she'd done that thing with the perfume bottle where she tried tilting it on one side and squirting and that wasn't working. She'd taken the lid off the perfume and emptied out. There was literally nothing left. And coincidentally that day, my grandmother phoned up. She's very elderly by that point. And she phoned up and she wanted to know what we wanted for for Christmas. And so Taryn was absolutely thrilled and she was saying, oh, Grandma, please, can I have, I think it was Clinique Happy. That was what she wanted, Clinique Happy. Anyway, so she, for the next few weeks, she just makes do with, I don't know, like Boots Body Spray or something like that. You know, thank God for Boots Body Spray, otherwise it would have been stinking. But anyway, so Christmas comes around. We'll just gloss over what I just said there. Christmas comes around and... uh, we're all gathered around, the whole family's gathered together, and Grandma's there, she's very elderly, bless her, and she's, but she's gone out, she's bought the presents, she's wrapped them all up, and, and we start distributing the presents, and Taryn knows what she's getting right, and she opens up her present, and it was a little pocket sewing kit, and she was like, oh, oh thank, thank you, and she did a really good job of looking like she was really grateful, and then um, the rest of the presents got passed around and opened and there was one present left and 
just at this particular Christmas, we had some people with us for Christmas who were like relatives of relatives of relatives. We'd never met them before. We'll probably never meet them again. Anyway, this present was for them. And Grandma said to Taryn, Taryn, would you just pass that present across? And so, of course, as she picks up the last present, she knows exactly what it is. Grandma's got confused, bless her. And so, so Taryn has to take her Clinique Happy over and give it to, like, Hilda or whatever her name was. It's like, there you go. And it was, I mean, that's the sort of thing that memories are made of, right? I mean, that was... That, that, was, that was a special day. That was a special day. The point is this. There is a gift that God calls us to give generously and abundantly, and yet so many of us find incredibly hard to part with. And it's the gift of forgiveness. In the story of Joseph, we have this moment of remarkable, extravagant, generous forgiveness. I've been really reflecting on what does the whole Bible teach about forgiveness and, and, and being forgiving people. And in particular, over the last week, I've reviewed all of Jesus' teaching on the subject of forgiveness. And what it seems to me, and maybe if you read the stuff, you would come to a different conclusion, but it seems to me that there are two things that we can say with absolute certainty about Jesus' perspective on the subject of forgiveness. And the first one is this. My becoming a forgiving person is absolutely central to Jesus' plans for my life. Does Jesus want me to be a prayerful person? Definitely. He wants me to seek him and to, uh, you know, do life with him. And Does he want me to, to walk in, in the power of the Spirit and to be a Spirit-filled Christian? Definitely. Does he want me to share my faith with others? Of course he does. But we mustn't lose sight of the fact that God wants for us that we would be people who let it go. People who forgive. People who let people off the hook. We, to be gracious people. And we might think that you know, forgiveness is like the, the thing that advanced Christians do. You know how you take your driving test? Everyone takes their driving test. And then some geeks take the advanced driving test. You know, we might think that forgiveness is in the advanced category. But actually we'd be wrong. And the reason I've come to that conclusion is that as you go through all of the teaching of Jesus, there are these moments where he gives these kind of what I'd call fridge magnet verses. You know, the kind of verses that we've all, we all know and they're the kind of verses that we might write on a fridge magnet or have a bit of calligraphy done on a doily and stick it on the wall or something like that. It's like, that is a verse. You know, that is my verse. Um, and so often, either immediately before that verse or immediately after is his teaching on forgiveness. So for example, three examples, Mark 11, 24, Jesus said this, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. I mean, that's a verse, isn't it? You know, I, I imagine that there are lots of frig, fridge magnets that have been produced over the years with believe that you've received it and it will be yours. It's great. I wonder how many people have just carried on and put the next verse on their fridge magnet too that says and when you stand praying if you hold anything against anyone forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you see it's right next door in the text Luke 17 verse 6 this is a great one if you have faith 
as small as a mustard seed. You can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it will obey you. I mean, that would be a good verse to have just on a little plaque just above your desk at work or something like that, wouldn't it? I wonder how many people have the verse immediately before that as their life verse. Even if your brother or sister sins against you seven times in a day and seven times they come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Anyone got that embroidered on a doily? No, maybe not. Luke chapter 6 verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I mean, that's a good one, isn't it? I mean, that is a good one. If you read that three times a day, it'll do you good. The thing is, though, that what he's speaking about when he's speaking about give and it will be given to you is give forgiveness. In fact, those are the immediate verses just before that. Forgive and you will be forgiven. My sense is that we've been reading scripture selectively, that we've been choosing the verses that we like and we've been writing them on fridge magnets and there's a whole bunch of stuff that we'd really rather wasn't there but it's dangerous for us if we ignore it. My becoming generous with the gift of forgiveness is absolutely central to his plans and desires for my life. The second thing that we can see in the teaching of Jesus is that a lack of forgiveness damages my relationship with God. There are some really small words in the teaching of Jesus that we ignore at our peril. Words like if and so that and and. Let me just give you some examples. Matthew 6, 14. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Mark eleven twenty five. If you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you. Luke 6.37, forgive and you will be forgiven. That's uncomfortable, isn't it? And honestly, I think that we need to be careful when we read that stuff because actually the whole Bible doesn't teach that we're only forgiven when we've made sure that we don't bear a grudge against anyone. You know, the thief who was cr crucified on the, uh, uh, to the side of Jesus, Jesus didn't say to him, today you'll be with me in paradise as long as you've made a list of all the people you bear a grudge with and made sure that you've forgiven everyone before you die. He didn't say that. You know, we are saved through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so, what I think Jesus is doing is using really big language to say that if we resent our brother, if we hold something against our sister, if we have a broken relationship, then it grieves the heart of God. What I think he's saying is that if we push our brother away, then in some sense, we push God away too. If we hold our friend at arm's length because they've hurt us, actually what we're doing is in some sense holding God at arm's length. Now I know it's easy to speak about this stuff in the abstract and, and anyone who's been properly wounded by things that people have said or things that people have done will know that actually talk is cheap, right? And, and actions are much harder. 
So what can we learn from the story of Joseph about how he forgives? I want to just look really briefly at his uh, kind of testimony, asking three things. Who does he forgive? When does he forgive? And how does he forgive? The first thing, who does he forgive? He forgives his brothers. I feel really stirred up about this. His brothers happen to be a spe- part of a special family. It's the family of God. And that particular family at that time on earth were carrying the purposes and the blessing of God with them. But ever since Jesus came to the earth as a man, the church has been the family of God that carries the purposes and the blessing of God. And so it seems to me that, that Joseph's story teaches us that we have to make sure that we as a community, we as the family of God, are especially forgiving, especially gracious, that we go above and beyond when it comes to forgiveness. I love John Wimber. John Wimber, I, I mean, some of you know, is like, I mean, he's been dead for nearly 20 years, but just incredibly influential pastor and, and had a mass, has had a maf- massive influence on my life and ministry. He said this, your brother is never your enemy. He's your brother. Your brother is never your enemy. Now we need to hear that because in our society, as Christians, what we do is we say, do you know what? I'm finding relationships in this church difficult and somebody's hurt me and I feel really upset about it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get up out of my seat. I'm going to leave this church and I'm going to go and find myself another church. And actually in our society, you could do that quite a lot, especially in Aberdeen. You know, you could leave this church, go to another church, leave that church, go to another church, leave that church, go to another church, leave that church, go to another. You could do that a long time, a lot of times. And then after you've done that, there's still the internet and satellite TV. Joseph forgives his brothers and God's desire for his people, his family, is that we would be a community of people who let one another off the hook, a community of grace, a community of forgiveness. The other thing about the people he forgives is that they're the people in his life who have caused him the most pain. Like, it's life-shaping pain. It's, it's changed the course of your life pain. And we would have all understood if he'd have said to his brothers when they came for food, look, here's some food, but just get out of my life. You know, here's some food, nice to see you, but please never come here again. And just so you know, I'll never forgive you for what you've done. Because in our society, the the received wisdom is something like, well, there's a kind of a line, you know, like you can forgive the small stuff. Somebody borrows a DVD box set and they lose it. You know, well, I'll let them off. Somebody turns up late for dinner again. I'll let them off. Maybe even somebody reverses into your car. It's like, yeah, all right, we'll let them off. But there is a line, and after that line, it's like what you've done is now so severe that I'm never going to forget it and I'm never going to let go of what you've done. What a good thing that Jesus doesn't use that kind of wisdom with us. Jesus was taken to a place called the skull and he was crucified there. And as he was crucified there, he shouted out, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. 
One of my favorite ever Bible teachers is a guy called Simon Ponsonby. I think he's absolutely incredible. If you haven't listened to any of his podcasts, you really should. He was talking about how he'd written this book on the power of the Holy Spirit. And he said as soon as the book was released, he had about 150 invitations to go and speak in different churches. It was like everyone wanted to hear about living in the power of the Spirit. And then he released a book on holiness. And he said he was invited to speak in three churches on the subject of holiness. And he said this, maybe we're not as interested as we think in becoming like Jesus. Jesus forgave the very people who were nailing his hands into a cross. Joseph forgave his brothers, even though they'd been the people who'd caused him extraordinary pain. That's who he forgave. When he forgives. Well, I've looked really hard in this story, and I've searched the chapters that come before this moment, and I can't find it. I can't find the apology. Do you know, I can't see that they ever said sorry. Sorry we bullied you. Sorry we hated you. Sorry we were jealous of you. Sorry we brutalized you. So, sorry what we did has, has ruined your life. They never said it. When does he forgive? Well, he certainly doesn't wait for them to say sorry first. He forgives before they say sorry. I've witnessed and I'm sure you have too, just a whole load of broken relationships in my life. I've been a Christian for 22 years and I've seen lots of Christians and non-Christians fall out with each other. And what I've noticed is that when they do that, for a lot, for a lot of people, you know, they might cause like proper pain. Like, you know, there might be people, you know, it's like, it's like a bowling ball in, in you know, the, the ten-pin bowling thing, skittles everywhere. There are people who seem to hurt people wherever they go. And yet, if you were to pin them down and say, what did you do wrong? They have no idea that they've done anything wrong. You know, you could, you could take them, you could put them in a concrete cell, right, with, with no windows, and you could shine a really bright light in their eyes, and you could attach them to one of those lie detector things with a needle that goes backwards and forwards, and you could say, what have you done wrong? Have you done something wrong? And they would say, no, and the needle wouldn't flicker. They genuinely believe it. If you wait for someone to say sorry, you might be waiting forever. They might never say sorry. Joseph doesn't wait for the apology to come. He forgives them beforehand. The other thing to notice is that it's now about 20 years from the moment where they sold him into slavery until now. And what that tells us is it's never too late to forgive. You know, you might have heard people say, you will have heard people say, well, there's been a lot of water under the bridge now. Or... You know, too much has been said, too much has happened. It's, you know, it's, it's just, it's got beyond that point. But they're wrong. It's never too late to forgive. And I just really feel that perhaps that's a word for some people, either here or on one of the sites who are uh, joining us this morning, that maybe you've been living with resentment or bitterness or hurt from something that happened years and years and years ago. You don't have to live with that anymore. I love, I've been reading this week about Nelson Mandela, 
imprisoned for 27 years, hard labor, crushing rocks for most of that 27 years. You know, horribly unjust oppression and uh, treatment, really unfair. And yet he said this when he walked out of prison, as I walked out of the door towards the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. Joseph forgives even after 20 years. It's never too late to forgive. Last one, really briefly, how does he forgive? Well, the short answer is he forgives completely. Like he, he lets them off the hook totally. He doesn't hold on to a single grudge. And you can see that everything is gone. It's total forgiveness. Our middle son is a very creative kind of a chap. And he, even when he was a, a really little kid, he loved making things out of jam jars and yogurt pots and little butter containers and cardboard toilet rolls and stuff like that. And so we started to collect stuff because he'd go mad. You know, if you were, like, you'd finish the butter, the last bit of the butter's gone, and then you go to put that in the bin, and he's like, don't throw that away! And so you're like, all right, all right, all right, we'll keep hold of that, we'll wash that, we'll treat it like it's worth a million pounds, there you go. And um, we put a little basket in our utility room. Well, I say utility room, at that point it was more like a utility cupboard. It had a washing machine in it, so we called it the utility room. Anyway, we put this little basket on the floor, and we started to accumulate yogurt pots and toilet rolls in there. And before too long, like, you'd open the door and it would be raining plastic. You know, it's just like, just, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and you, you literally couldn't get to the washing machine without, like, fighting your way past all of this stuff. And after a while, we were like, this is absolutely ridiculous. And so whilst he was out in nursery, we got a big, big bin bag and we filled it full of toilet rolls and plastic pots and stuff like that but we just left a few just a little you know the little basket there with just a couple of little bits and um, we said there you go son we got rid of some of it, it was a bit upset about that but there's still some there and then of course you, you know what's going to happen first of all you still couldn't get to the blinking washing machine and also within no time at all those few little bits had accumulated more friends and you were it was raining plastic every time you opened the door and then one day we were like, this is ridiculous. And we just cleared the whole lot. We just threw the whole lot away. And we did a little dance inside the utility cupboard. Joseph got rid of it all. He forgave them completely. How do we know when we've forgiven someone completely? Well, there's just a few hints from his story. The first thing is, you know when you've forgiven someone when no one else needs to know. Verse 1, he says, everyone get out. To all of his attendants, all of the servants, anyone who's not directly involved in this situation, get out. I don't want you to hear. See, what we often do is we do the very opposite of that. We say, oh, I feel really hurt and aggrieved. And so uh, I'm going to get on the phone, you know, and I'm going to say, you'll never believe what Barry's done. Or we'll get onto Facebook and say, Larry has really let me down. I really feel like you need to know for reasons of prayer. You know, or we're in the coffee queue afterwards and Gary is there and we're like, you know, I'm gonna do you know that guy there? You know when you've forgiven someone when no one needs to know. There's only one exception to that, and that is if a crime has been committed, then someone does need to know when no one needs to know. Secondly, when my heart is soft and you get this moment where he's all tears 
He's just weeping. Verse 2, he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And those tears signify the fact that he's not hard-hearted towards his brothers anymore. He's not wearing the armor anymore. He's just soft-hearted towards his brothers. Number three, when there can be proximity without pain. Joseph demonstrates to his brothers that he's completely forgiven them when in verse four he says, come here. To be honest with you, I, like generally speaking, in my life I've been encouraged and supported and affirmed and loved. And um, that's not actually every pastor, every minister's story. Lots of ministers I know get a good kicking from the people who they're serving. But, you know, please don't let me discourage you from continuing to be encouraging and supportive and all of that. But just as I've been praying about it in my own life, I found myself drawn back to a situation that happened years and years ago where there was a mentor figure in my life. And we used to meet week in, week out, and he would encourage me and help me on the journey and uh, help me to figure out what God was saying in my life. And, and then one, one day, he just, it was like he took my soul out of my body and just put it under his feet and stamped on it. And for years, I didn't think about it, and I thought it was all dealt with. And then I saw him at a Christian conference a few years ago, and suddenly, all of my emotion, it was like it had happened yesterday. It was like, oh my, I was horrified. I was really shocked that I was experiencing all of this emotion. I was like, where is it coming from? I said to Taryn, what's the deal with this? And she said, there's the world of a difference between avoiding someone and forgiving them. She's a wise woman, my wife. I married well. Just because we don't see someone doesn't mean to say that we've forgiven them. And actually, we know that we've genuinely forgiven them and we can be with them and not experience all the emotion from the past. And finally, what's the result of his forgiveness? Verse 14. I just think it's relief. It's complete relief. All of these tears that he's weeping are tears of relief. You might think that if you let someone off the hook, if you gave them the gift of forgiveness, the overwhelming feeling would be regret. Be, oh, I can't believe I've let them get away with that. But actually, it isn't regret. It's never regret. It's always relief. Verse 14, Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. He's relieved. He's just so relieved. Let me just finish with this. When I, I said the other time, I used to work in, for a software company just by London Bridge. And after I'd been there for a little while, uh, they obviously appreciated my work because they gave me a mobile phone. Like I just came into work one day, and, there was, and this is like a few years ago when a mobile phone was quite a precious thing. In fact, here it is. That's a good phone, that, isn't it? Got to make sure you got the aerial up. And what was really funny about this phone was, and this is not relating in any way to my talk, but you used to have to dial the number on the front and then you used to have to turn it round and speak into the back. And people used to come up to me on Waterloo Station platform and they'd say, excuse me, I think your phone's around the wrong way. It's really funny. Anyway, so I had this phone for a couple of years. I'll put that there. Yeah. Uh, I had that phone for a couple of years, and then one day I came into the office, and there was a box on my desk, and it was another mobile phone. And I was like, 
I don't need two mobile phones. They said, oh, no, 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 that, that one's kind of old now. Here's your new phone. I said, well, what do I do with this phone? They said, throw it away. It's my disobedience there. I kept it. I thought, you never know. It might come in handy one day. First time it's ever come in handy, 20 years. Anyway. I must have had, I don't know, eight phones, ten phones since this little phone here. We live in a society that is all about disposing of things. You know, like, oh, that's kind of last year. I'm done with that now. Let's move on. Let's throw that in the bin. Let's... And we do that with relationships. We say, oh, there's been too many crosswords. It's been too difficult. Pull the ripcord, bail out, throw it in the bin, move on. Jesus often said to his disciples, that's what it's like out there, not so with you. And Jesus' vision for his church is that when it comes to parenting or friendship or marriage, that we wouldn't be a people who just say, pull the ripcord, throw it in the bin, but we would be a people of grace. And for that to happen, we need to learn how to do this forgiveness thing. We need to learn how to say sorry. And we need to learn how to let each other off the hook. Why don't we stand?